folks, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Charles Max Wood, and this is going to be an episode that we're going to just use to fill in a couple of the things. Um, and mainly, it's an opportunity for me to talk to you about what devchat.tv is all about and what I'm working on. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I want to kind of back up and just talk a few minutes about how I came to the conclusions that I did. And also, um, I've had a few people ask me to tell my podcasting story. So I'm going to kind of get into that as well. All right. Um, I plan to do this in a few other places, uh, primarily around um, YouTube. Um, I'm working on some uh, applications that people can use to build their own podcasts. Um, and essentially, the idea is, is that there are a few things that fuel podcasts on, on that particular front. Uh, mainly, it's um, audience and attention, uh, money, uh, you know, through sponsorships or Patreon or whatever, and uh, things like that. And so I'm going to be talking about um, how, how to get all that over on some other shows that I'm going to be starting here within the next few months. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to be talking about the podcast at devchat.tv. So um, if we back up a few months, um, and this year has really been crazy with travel for me. Um, I got to the point um, where I was talking a lot about podcasting at MicroConf and um, at the um, CodeBeam San Francisco in February. And while I was there, especially at CodeBeam, uh, I met a whole bunch of people uh, and, and was talking to them about podcasts. One of the people was Johnny Wynn. And he, he had a show called Elixir Fountain. And it was a show that I think he intends to bring back. And uh, as we were talking, it just turned out that there was kind of this uh, disconnect between his ability to spend the time uh, producing the show and his ability to pay somebody to produce the show. And so eventually he kind of slowed down, um, you know, just to kind of keep pace with what he was capable of doing. And then eventually the show stopped, which to me is kind of a, a shame because you know, I like hearing what he has to say. Um, so we had him on Elixir Mix and we, you know, we talked about the show and, um, you know, some of the, the, the guys there were fans of his show and things like that. And so um, it really got me thinking a lot about the fact that there are shows that are started for some of these communities that just disappear. Um, about the same time, I started looking around for other shows that might be disappearing. And one of the ones I found was the Food Fight Show, which is a show about DevOps. Uh, run by the folks from Chef. If you've been involved in the Ruby community for a while, you probably know Nathan Harvey and Nell Shamrell Harrington and the efforts that they've done over there. And it was a terrific show too, but it had also kind of started to fade. And with them, it was just all of the work that went into making the show go. And I thought, okay, well, if I can solve the 
production issues help them refocus the show a little bit so that it's a little less chef focused and a little more DevOps focused, which after talking to them sounded like kind of where they wanted to go anyway. And, you know, could, could solve some of these issues, find some sponsors to help pay for the production and everything else that we could keep the show alive. And so, you know, we've kind of been working on that as well. And so I started reaching out to other shows about um, getting them onto um, devchat.tv and helping them continue to be out there. And, you know, it's always an interesting balance to strike, right? Be, uh, between, okay, well, I'm putting on, putting in work on, on the show. Um, my team's putting in work on the show. So how much do I take and how much do I not take? And, you know, how much do I reinvest in the show versus, re, you know, investing in the infrastructure behind the show and things like that, um, you know, and pay myself for my time and stuff like that. And so, that, that, that's an interesting conversation to be had, but most of these folks really just want to keep the show alive. And that's ultimately my focus as well. Um, so anyway, so I started talking to people around those ideas at, um, at CodeBeam, and then I went to MicroConf. And at MicroConf, I started talking to people again. And it was funny because I was talking to people about uh, the software as a service that I'm building for podcasting. And before long, we'd wind up talking about podcasting and about their desire to create a podcast for their niche community. And there were a bunch of people there doing a bunch of different things. And they were all really, really interesting problems to be solved. But a few of them, as I talked to them, it became readily apparent that they really could do a, a solid marketing campaign through a podcast. Uh, one example was uh, the folks from Cleverific, I think it was. Um, and I think I talked to somebody named Andrew who had listened to Ruby Rogues because, you know, he, he wrote apps for Shopify or plugins for Shopify, which is mostly done in Rails. And so we were chatting and, you know, he had listened to some of the shows and I was like, well, why don't you do a show about Shopify? And he's like, well, you know, that sounds like an interesting marketing opportunity. Tell me more. And so as we got talking, it became apparent that, hey, look, there aren't a lot of shows out there about being a vendor on Shopify. And there aren't a lot of shows out there that talk about Shopify plugins. And the trick was, was talking to them, I realized that they shouldn't do a show on what their plugin does. Uh, what they should do a show on is being on Shopify and being a Shopify vendor, because then they add all this value to their customers, and then their customers come to know and trust them, and then they'll buy their plugin, right? And so I had that same conversation four or five times and realized that there could be this sense of serving the community, but also in a way that comes back to you and your company and things like that. And so if your heart and soul really is in the community that you're trying to serve, then you can make it work for you. Now, the flip side is, is that it also occurred to me that then I ought to have some products that I can put out there so that as people come to know and trust me and trust the shows that we put out on DevChat, that they have something to go to, right? And so it was kind of the reverse thing the other way. And so I've been thinking a lot about that, but I wanted to put things out there that really serve the community, right? Even though they were mostly money-making ventures and I do make some money on the uh, sponsorships, ultimately the idea was to get that going. And so um, that's kind of coming to fruition now with Everywhere JS and Everywhere RB and some of the other stuff that I'm working on at the moment. Um, the get a coder job book. I felt driven to finish that. Right. And so now I re rebranded it as find your dream coder job. Um, but 
anyway, so you, you get the idea, you know, I, I, I've been putting these things out there, but I, and, and I was starting to get an idea of really where I wanted to go with devchat.tv at that point. And so as I worked through some of the ideas behind dev chat and podcasts and community and what I really wanted, I wound up going next to NGConf. And that's the conference uh, for, in Salt Lake City for Angular developers. And it's the big one. It, it had like 2,000 people there. And um, I have the benefit of having podcasted about Angular for like four or five years. And so I know a lot of the people who were there. And so I wound up doing a whole bunch of um, interviews and stuff with people while I was there. And I kept having the same conversation over and over again with people again about the podcasts. And finally, I, I had somebody ask me, so, so what are you trying to do with devchat.tv? And I thought about it and I said, well, I'm still formulating that, right? Because before it was, well, I want to empower developers to you know, make a difference and, and find freedom in their careers. And, and that's something that I'm looking for as, as a result of the podcast. But I didn't really feel like that was the mission per se of devchat.tv. That, that's the mission more of each show, right? Is to help people level up and, you know, find the job that they want and gain the skills that they need so that they can be successful in what they're doing. And that they can find freedom to, to move from jobs they don't like to jobs they like, you know. And, and I feel like in a lot of cases too, some jobs let's just face it. Some jobs suck. Um, some jobs don't suck if you fit well with them. And some jobs are really great if you fit well with them. And I found that a lot of people, it, it's more of a fit between the person in the company or the person in the team than it is that that job really sucks all around, right? It's just, they provide more of what one person's looking for than another. And so what I want is I want people to be able to work to gain the skills that they need so that they have the flexibility to move to the job that they fit the best. And then ultimately the jobs that suck will either figure out that they suck and they'll figure out how to do better or they won't be able to hire anybody because everybody else is doing well and where they want to be. And you know, they'll, they'll have to figure something out. And so that, that's kind of where I, I'm hoping each show can get each community to, but for devchat.tv itself, it, it felt off. The mission didn't really fit. And so as I was talking to people, I started out telling people we liberate softwares, software developers to build, a, you know, to find freedom and, and build the software that makes a difference. And by the end of the conference, I was telling people my mission is to make sure that every programming community has a podcast and that every developer knows that there's a podcast out there for them. And the reason that I got to that was because I realized that, you know, talking to say the Ionic uh, crew, right? And they're, they're saying, yeah, well, we started a podcast and we're talking about Ionic. Um, you know, I've talked to a few other people around, you know, uh, thinkster.io, we, we do the production for their show, Dev Ed Podcast, which you should check out. It's really good. Um, but it's that kind of thing where it's, okay, how do I make sure that every community has a show? Because if every community has a place where they're having the conversations that community needs to have, and they feel like they can join in, and even though they can't participate fully in the conversation, that somebody is saying what they're thinking, and answering the questions that they have so that they can gain the skills that they need to move ahead, then that's what we're about. But, but every community deserves to have a show. Every community deserves to have good content that's going to get them there. Funny enough, I just talked to somebody a few minutes ago about possibly uh, adopting a Cold Fusion podcast. You know, talk about technology that you think nobody uses anymore. 
Um, but apparently there are a number of people still out there. And I, and I, I assume with most technologies, yeah, there's always going to be some code out there that somebody wrote that needs to be maintained. Um, and, you know, maybe one of these communities, something's going to um, come together and pop up and, and, you know, make a big difference for them. You know, maybe Cold Fusion will come back because somebody invents something over there. I don't know. But ultimately, you know, having these communities out there is something that's really, really important to me. And so I, I've really started working on that as a whole. And that's driven me to start a bunch of new shows. So uh, some of the things that I thought I might just uh, talk through here for a few minutes are some of the shows that I want to start. And then I'm, I'm going to go back and I'll talk through my coding journey. Um, specifically with Ruby Rogues, I keep getting asked the same thing. I'm probably actually just going to, I may just tell that story instead and just answer that question as part of the um, podcast community. Um, but, but we'll see where we'll see where we wind up. Anyway, so in, interestingly enough, when I started uh, working on new shows, um, the shows that I wanted to start were some of the up and coming technologies that I feel like are getting close to the verge where one solid breakthrough or one uh, bit of technology that goes mainstream is all they're really waiting on. Uh, one of those is AI and machine learning. So in artificial intelligence, we keep hearing about it. Uh, more and more people are getting into some of the learning models and, um, you know, they're learning languages so that they can go work on it and things like that. You keep hearing about, you know, TensorFlow and uh, I think Microsoft has an AI initiative. and um, uh, I think AWS is working on, you know, something similar, right? So you can train systems to figure out your stuff, right? And so that kind of machine learning is going on in a lot of places. And again, you know, we, we have these very specific AIs, but they seem to really, in a lot of ways, intuit their way into ways of solving problems. And so as those algorithms get better or faster, I think eventually we're going to, the, we're going to get to the point where a lot of things are going to be driven by AI that we wouldn't even think make, make sense to do by AI. And what's going to happen is we're going to get to the point where uh, people are, are seeing it show up. So maybe my toaster has AI in it, right? And so from the way that I push down the, uh, the little button to put the bread in, it'll know that it's me and it'll know that I like my toast a certain way, right? So after so many times of me fiddling with it to get the toast just right, it's going to take that feedback enough to know, oh, okay, um, it needs to be about this doneness or it needs to cook for about this long or something, right? It's going to have some value in it for that. Um, you know, all the way up to solving some of these other problems. Um, that are hard to put an algorithm around, but can kind of have this, hey, I fed you a whole bunch of data now, what about this? Um, and so anyway, I, I think we're gonna see those get faster and better and more intelligent. And so as we, um, as we kind of work through that and figure that out, um, I think we're a good few years from that just taking off. And so I wanted to do a show about it. Uh, similarly, similarly with IoT, um, you know, a lot more devices are coming out. Um, I consider also things like the Amazon Echo and some of the features in smartphones to be essentially IoT functions. And so as we get there and it ties back into things like serverless functions and things like that, um, we're going to see a lot of things change, I think, over the next few years there too. Just, just from the sense of having these devices that are capable of doing a lot of things. And then as they collect data and we feed it back into the AI systems, right? You kind of get the idea that it'll figure out 
what kind of patterns and what kinds of things it should be reacting to. And then all of a sudden we have this interactive world that kind of happens around us without us really realizing it. And then the last one that I see kind of up and coming, and I think is probably, you know, five years or so out is virtual reality and augmented reality. And I've been telling people for a while that we already have augmented reality. The, the problem is, is that I have to pull my phone out of the pocket, my pocket to use it, right? So I can interact with the world around me. I can take pictures of things. I can um, scan QR codes. I can, you know, so, so right now it's very, very analog. But I think we're going to get to a, a point where a lot of that really connects and, and something's going to click and it's all going to happen. And a lot of that's going to be driven by data science. So we do have a data science show that's starting. That show is actually being run by David Richards uh, from Ruby Rogues and his friend Rex Griffiths. And they've already recorded like three or four episodes. So we're probably going to get those out here within the next week or so if it's not already out. Um, and I'm recording this at the at tail end of May 2019. So if you're a few months from now, um, go check it out. It's called Data Therapy. Um, right now, we're just finalizing the details. We're getting the artwork done. Um, we're getting some intro and outro music. Um, and we're just hammering out the rest of it and figuring out what we want to do. So um, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm super excited about that. But that, that I feel is going to drive a lot of the other ones. And then the other area that it seems like a lot of this is happening in, so IoT kind of happens across several technologies, but AI is primarily done in Python. And so, and then a lot of data science incidentally is also done in Python. So I want to start a Python show. And I've been talking to a number of people about getting that together. Um, now the shows that I've had people approach me about since I said, oh, well, we're starting shows for communities, especially where people really just want to show and they, you know, they can't find more than maybe one or two good ones um, are Java. And I actually went looking for Java shows and most of them have stopped. Um, I found a couple shows that were like Java with so-and-so and it's essentially, hey, I'm a coach or I'm a therapist or I'm a this. And so it's essentially saying copy with so-and-so and they're not talking about programming. Most of the rest of them that, that talk about Java have stopped. And so I was surprised because it's, it's it's huge community. There's a ton of code being written in it. There's a ton of code that has been written in it. Um, I don't think it's a technology that's going anywhere. And there are a lot of people that work with it. And so I am talking to a number of people about getting that, that show together. And then um, I had Sean Claybo um, from, he was a guest on JavaScript Jabber. He came to me and asked me about doing a .NET show. And I thought that was a good idea too. I know the guys that do the .NET Rock show. Um, I know a few people that do like Azure focus shows or Microsoft focus shows. Um, but yeah, I, I want to get in and talk about the .NET uh, ecosystem. Now, I'm probably not the guy to do that. I'm not an expert there. But I can support these people in pulling together a show uh, that will talk about that. And, you know, I can do everything except be the expert. And so that that's the area that I'm working on there. Um, like I said, I had somebody come to me talking about a cold fusion show. I've had uh, a couple of people, I'm trying to think of all the other ones. Um, like I said, we adopted the food fight show and a lot of these other, um, podcasts. I'm reaching out to a bunch of other defunct shows, shows that aren't producing anymore to see if I can bring them on board and either bring them onto devchat.tv or help them find sponsorships so they can run on their own. Um, JavaScript seems to have shows popping up that are creating kind of a vibrant, uh, community. Uh, Angular has a few shows, um, you know, and so we have shows in Angular and React and stuff like that. 
Um, Elixir only the only show I'm really able to find. I found one or two others that are you know fairly new, like mine, uh, like Elixir Mix. But yeah, anyway. So so we're working on getting all that together. So um, I, I guess that's a long-winded way of essentially saying that we're starting new shows. If you're working in a community that doesn't have a podcast and you think you would like to see a podcast for it, uh, reach out to me. Just email me, Chuck, at devchat.tv and let me know, hey, look, we're, you know, we'd like to start a show on whatever and uh, we'll get it going. Um, I'm also t- working with Joe Eames to start a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Uh, that, that probably won't be on devchat.tv. Um, I'm trying to figure out where that's going to live um, because I'm also starting shows with my kids. Um, I, my 13-year-old wants to do a show on Lego Ninjago, which is a television show. Um, my daughter loves writing songs, but she's not really a trained musician. And so we're going to talk to songwriters. And I, I've made a few contacts that can really help me out on that front. If you know any songwriters, I'd love to get connected there too. Um, my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, we're going to do a Harry Potter show. And with my seven-year-old son, we're going to do a Star Wars show. And then I'm probably going to wait for my three-year-old to get a little older before we start a show with her. But anyway, so those will probably all live on the same network, all of those and the Dungeons and Dragons show. And we'll, you know, if, if anybody else wants to start kind of the family-focused or entertainment-focused shows, then I'm happy to work on that too. But anyway, so that, that's been a ton of fun to work on as well. But yeah, so we're, we're working on these shows, uh, definitely trying to get this stuff together and just make sure that we have shows out there for everybody. And then um, on the helping everybody know that there's a show out there for them, we, so I built a podcasting booth. It's uh, nine foot by nine foot and it has three windows across the front. I have a banner that goes along the top that says, hey, Dev Chat podcasting booth. Um, I'm working on a few other things to kind of get the, you know, get things together. And then I'm really hoping to go out to podcasting conferences or not podcasting conferences, programming conferences with it. I took it up to NG comp and uh, just record a whole bunch of podcast episodes at the conferences and see what we end up with. And so I'm excited about some of the prospects there as well. Um, So that should be really interesting to see what comes together out of that. Um, But just being present at the conferences, I think will help raise the awareness that there are podcasts out there for programmers that are there specifically to help them learn. And, you know, Joe's dev ed podcast is there specifically about how to learn. Uh, my shows are more specific about uh, what technologies, tools, techniques, career advice, things like that, that you can use to get ahead where you're at. And then a lot of the other shows that we're putting together again are in some of these specific areas. So um, what I'm hoping to do is create resources so that let's say in another few years, the web becomes VR and VR becomes the web, right? Um, Then you all have a resource to go to if you need to make a job transition or IOT or AI or whatever. Um, And so as people kind of make these moves, um, because the web didn't exist 20 years ago, well, it barely existed 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, I think things are prone to change. So if we have the content out there, then we can continue to make what we're making and do what we're doing and, and have great lives as programmers. Um, I also started a video show called the DevRev, um, stands for the developer revolution. And again, that was more along the lines of freedom and career and things like that. Um, and I am looking for career questions that I can answer on that show. And I'm probably going to start it up again here within the next week or so. 
So anyway, lots of things going on. And this is all back to that same idea around every community in programming deserves to have a podcast. And so let's get one out there for them. Um, another area was Go. I There was a Go podcast that was being produced by uh, the guys over at Changelog. And, you know, they, they, they started it back up. It was funny. I emailed them and asked them about it. And then like a week later, I got an email back saying, hey, <laughs> we, we released a new, other, new episode. So, you know, good to know, right? If, if I don't, I'm, I'm not taking any credit for that. Um, even if it did prompt them to do it, I mean, they did the work. So, um, but I, I don't even know if that was the case. They may have already recorded it before I even reached out to them. But yeah, if there are shows that you're finding out there that you're like, gee, I wish this was still a thing. Um, let me know because there may be a way for us to make it work. Um, but yeah. And then it's, okay, so how do we keep people current? How do we keep people at the point where they can really shine in their careers and, you know, make it a quality experience for them? And that's where Everywhere JS and Everywhere RB come in is that I wanted to create communities where people could actually come in. They could hear talks like we hear at users groups. They could talk to each other. And so I'm kind of doing roundtable. I'll have to moderate that in some way. Um, but roundtable discussions, you know, and so we'll bring people in and out and, you know, they can ask questions, they can get to know each other, things like that. And then, um, you know, have a have forum and a uh, Slack chat where people can actually get in and interact with each other. And and I've been working hard on that, just, just getting the rest of that uh, kind of uh, bolted together. And that's something that will probably be available in June. Um, but I definitely am waiting to get a few hundred people on each of the wait lists. Um, just so that I know that I'm going to have kind of critical mass in the community, uh, just so that I can do nice things for the people that come and speak. And so that, uh, I know that the conversations aren't going to be between 10 people. It'll be between a hundred or so people. So anyway, that, that's what we're looking for. And, uh, that, that's what we're working on. Now I've had a few people ask me how I got into program or into podcasting. And, uh, I, am going to kind of just give a, a long winded you know, story about it and just explain where I came, where it came from and, and how I got into it and everything like that. Um, I'm probably going to get into some areas that I have not discussed publicly. Um, and I'll let you know when I get there. Um, for, for Ruby Rogues, it basically involves um, uh, Mandy Moore and, uh, you know, the, the panel and some of the stuff that went on there. Um, I will let you know that my intention is essentially to record this, talk through it, and then I am not going to discuss it. I'll discuss it one-on-one -on -one with people, but I'm not going to go public and discuss it again. So um, just so you're aware, this is a question I get asked a lot, especially by the Ruby Rogues community. And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell my side of it. Um, it may be skewed in my favor a little bit because that's just the way I see that things happened. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, I'm, but, but let me, let me go all the way back. So, um, just so you're aware, I was the kid. It's funny because they had like radio classes and DJing classes in call or in high school and college. And I never took any of those. Um, but when I was a kid, I remember I got a tape cassette recorder and I would record my own shows <laughs> on, on cassette tapes. Um, when I was like nine or 10 and, uh, you know, smart kid like me, of course I did it on the stairs where my brothers and sisters would bother me because they were going up the stairs or down the stairs. Right. And so I'd yell at them for bugging me in the middle of my show. Cause I wasn't smart enough to go in my room. 
but uh, yeah, you know, I did stuff like that. And, and I don't know if that had any influence on it at all, but I distinctly remember doing that kind of thing. Um, when I was in high school and college, you know, I thought it would be cool to be a DJ, but like a radio DJ, not, not like a DJ at the, the, the dances and weddings and stuff, but you know, a DJ on the radio, but I never really, um, I, I never really focused much on it after that. Um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, like a physician doctor in high school. And uh, at the same time, I got into electronics. And so I did a bunch of stuff with electronics. I got my ham radio license in high school. Um, and, and I've always kind of been bent toward technology that way. Um, my grandpa was a, a chemical en- or yeah, chemical engineer. Um, he worked for Rockwell International in uh, California, which is where my mom grew up. And um, I remember going over to his house after he had retired. They moved back to Utah. And uh, I remember going over to his house and he had a little TI computer and, uh, you know, he was tinkering with stuff and would invent stuff on his own. Uh, one of the things he invented was a, an ellipsometer, which for those of you who don't know, um, is a tool for measuring the um, layers of oxidation on silicon wafers, which is what chips and computers are made out of. And the way that the chips are made is essentially they uh, etch into the oxidated layer on the chip. And, um, you know, I I learned a whole bunch about that when I was in college because I got my degree in computer engineering. Uh, At the same time, um, for computer engineering, of course, I had to take some programming classes. Um, I also worked in their operations center. So initially at BYU, uh, so my degree is in computer engineering from Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And um, so when I worked there, we just would, uh, you know, monitor the the servers. We would log in and fix stuff if we needed to. Um, Similarly, with all of the network switches, the Cisco switches around campus, um, if there was a problem with any of those, you know, we typically were the ones that would log in and fix them. Um, sometimes we would send out uh, technicians. Um, so we would just log a request and the technician would go check it out. And then they'd call us if, you know, they needed diagnostic information off of the switches. Um, and yeah, that, that was essentially our job. Uh, while I was there, they built a fully fledged data center. Um, it's actually underground between the Talmadge building and the Knight building in, uh, on BYU campus. And uh, you wouldn't know it walking over the top of it, but it's there. And uh, it was huge. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we moved into basically a state-of-the-art operations center while I was working there. Um, after several years, a friend of mine helped me get a job. The same friend that helped me get a job there helped me get a job at um, doing systems administration work. So um, when I got down there, I was um, on the team managing the Windows and NetWare uh, servers and then, you know, moved over to Linux uh, and VMware. There was an internship in the middle of that where I was actually working for a company writing software, writing patents. And uh, I figured out pretty quickly that uh, that wasn't the life for me. That wasn't what I wanted to do. So I went back and they, they gave me a job back there working on VMware and then eventually on Linux. Um, and I actually wrote a system in Bash that allowed uh, the servers to copy the updates. So we, we had a license from um, Red Hat for the servers 
And, you know, so we could, we'd get updates straight from them, but every server would, you know, have to go and, you know, rsync the updates down and do all this work one at a time. And so uh, I wrote basically a script that ran on a cron job that would go and uh, one server would pull down the, the updates, copy them to the other servers. And then there was another cron job that ran all the updates. So we only had to download them once and it, it happened on a regular basis and helped us manage all that stuff. So I was kind of into programming at that point, but uh, most of my programming classes were pretty pointless. And for the most part, I, I didn't, I thought programming was kind of a joke. Um, and eventually, um, right before I graduated, I started applying for jobs and got hired at Mosey. And when I was working at Mosey, that's where I really fell in love with programming. And it's also where I first encountered podcasting. So I, I got hired over there. Incidentally, um, the CEO of that company, uh, I found out after working there for about two months that he was actually my second cousin, that his mom and my mom were cousins. And for whatever reason, we just didn't realize that. Um, until I was talking to my grandmother and she had heard from her sister that, you know, <laughs> that her grandson had started this company and it turned out it was the company I was working at. So, uh, funny side note, but anyway, um, so what happened was we started building a system to manage the requests that we were getting in Ruby on rails and Ruby on rails is what they were using for the website of things at Mosey. And so we could get help when we needed it. But for the most part, um, we were pretty self-sufficient. Um, and initially, a guy named Tom did most of the work, but he eventually transitioned over to the sales team to be their tech um, support lead guy. Um, so he would hop on the sales calls with them and help answer questions about things um, once we started getting business and enterprise clients. And uh, so a lot of it fell to me. And so I just continued working on the same project um, and learned Ruby on Rails while working on that project. Um, and we built that out over about a year and a half. And then, um, that's when I decided, cause the company had been acquired by EMC corporation and they were asking me which track I wanted to be on. Cause I had kind of been on a dual track of both, uh, technical, technical and, or engineering and management. And so initially I was thinking, Oh, well, I'll just go into management and I'll be a, you know, C blah, blah, blah. Oh, and I realized that I just loved programming. And so I went to my boss and I essentially said, look, I just want to be a coder. I just want to write code. And he said, well, uh, I don't have the clout to move you over to the, pro the engineering team because they had a really high bar and they also had enough pull in the company that they could essentially, you know, turn anyone away they wanted. And, and their interview process was pretty intense. So I moved over to QA and I worked in QA for about six months before I left Mosey. But while I was in QA, uh, there was another guy there um, named Don and Don, um, he had been commuting down from uh, Ogden, which is an hour, hour and a half uh, north of where the office was. And it was just far enough to where he would actually get a, uh, an apartment and he would stay at the apartment all week and then he would go home um, on the weekend and see his wife and his son. And, uh, so on the long drives and everything, he had bought himself an, uh, an iPod and they were, they were the ones with the circle control and an actual spinning disc, uh, hard drive in them. And, uh, you know, had like 80 gigs on them or something. And anyway, he was listening to podcasts and finally I just turned around cause he was cracking up at something on like grammar girl or something. And, uh, I said, what are you 
what are you listening to? What are you laughing at? And so he pulled out his iPod and, you know, played it back for me. And then I'm going, oh, this is cool. Well, I wish I had an iPod so I could listen to podcasts. And he laughed again and helped me get iTunes running on the Mac mini that was sitting on my desk because uh, through some form of serendipity, I wound up being the guy that was running the Mac uh, beta for Mosey when they were uh, adding the Mac Mosey or, you know, Mosey for Mac to the product offering that they had, because um, before that it only worked on windows. Uh, the client only worked on windows. I mean, the back end, it didn't care, you know, as long as it got the data. So, um, so yeah, so the machine I was beta testing on was the machine that I was running iTunes on listening to podcasts. And so I listened to a bunch of different shows. Some of the ones that he had been listening to, I think I picked up a couple of NPR shows like, wait, wait, don't tell me. And a few other ones that I enjoyed. And I went and looked for Ruby on Rails podcasts. And it turned out that there was one out there called Rails Envy. And Rails Envy was run by Greg Pollock. A lot of people know who he is because he started and sold uh, Code School to Pluralsight. And uh, he currently runs View Mastery, I think is, is anyway. But he, he also runs the official View News podcast. So he's still out there doing his thing. And I think his View Mastery is the one that he owns. Uh, there are a couple of View training sites, but I think that one's his. So anyway. Um, I emailed him and I thought, oh, you know, podcasters, they're, they're like, they're like movie stars. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's crazy because, because, uh, you could, you could do a podcast in your basement and, uh, you know, I just didn't realize that. So, um, I emailed him and I thought, you know, this guy's probably, you know, got a zillion things going and he'll never email me back. And I heard back the next day and he said, you should definitely start a podcast. And I emailed him back and I said, well, what do I do? Because I don't want to do the same show you're doing, right? I figured there was only space for one um, solid Rails news podcast. And he told me to start interviewing people. And so um, episode one of the Rails Coach podcast, which was the show I started back in what, 2006, seven? No, it was 2008, I think. Anyway, my first interview was Greg Pollock. And then I did an episode, I didn't have a guest. So I just talked about what I was learning about Ruby on Rails and just talked through the principles there. And then the next episode, I interviewed James Edward Gray. Um, and then I, you know, just kind of went back and forth like that, you know, so there'd be an episode or two of me talking about what I was working on and then an interview or two from, you know, some of the other folks that I was talking to. Um, some of the other shows that we did, I talked to DHH and it was episode 50 of the Rails Coach podcast. Um, and that was actually an interesting encounter. Um, I was walking through rails comp and I saw him sitting there and I saw there was a seat open next to him. And so I sucked it up and I walked over and I sat down and I was super nervous and I just introduced myself to him and told him that I loved rails and he, you know, he, he, he was gracious. I'm sure he'd heard it a million times. Um, and then I said, you know, I'd really like to get you on my podcast and just talk about rails and talk about your story. And he, he agreed <laughs> and I was totally dumbfounded. And so I emailed him after the conference and we worked it out and he came on the show. And, you know, so that, that was a highlight. Um, I wound up going up to Apache con one year and interviewing a whole bunch of people about open source stuff. Um, we interviewed people about like uh, ladies learning code in Toronto on that show. Um, eventually I renamed it to the teach me to code podcast. And the reason was, was because 
um, about, so about two months before I started that show, um, my friend, Eric Berry, who has been on the Ruby rogues podcast for a while. He's also on the, uh, sustain our software podcast. that's going to be coming out soon. I think I failed to mention that one earlier. Um, he had started a screencast series for Ruby on Rails developers, and he was try, kind of trying to duplicate Railscast is what I found out later, but it, it didn't come through the same way. And, you know, that, that's fine. It was, it was definitely a good show, but um, anyway, after I'd been podcasting for a while, uh, he came to me because he had gotten really involved in Groovy and Groovy on Grails, uh, which Groovy is a language that runs on the JVM. And, we, you know, so he's like, look, you've been producing content pretty steadily. Um, would you like to take over and teach me to code? And I said, sure. And so I took it over and I started producing videos every week as well. And after a while, um, that kind of turned into a thing as well. And so that's more or less how I got to know people in the Ruby community was because I'd go to conferences and I, I'd get involved in the community and they knew who I was because they'd watched my videos or heard me interview somebody or I had interviewed them on the show. And so it, it, it was really re kind of a cool thing. I think I interviewed Ryan Bates once or twice, um, who did Railscasts and, and a bunch of other people. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure all that content's still up. I think you can still find it um, on devchat.tv, I think is where it's at. So anyway, um, we, we got all of that stuff together and made it all work. And then in 2011, in, in April, um, things were starting to kind of wind down for me with regards to um, uh, Rails Coach and Teach Me to Code. And I had also gone freelance the year before. I'd gotten laid off from my uh, final full-time job after like six months. Um, and I won't go into all the details, but essentially they hired a director of marketing that took the, the company in a direction that um, he had way more pull than he should have. And he took the company in a direction that... Uh, made customers start to leave. And so, you know, they were cash strapped. The, the board actually stepped in and uh, fired some people and um, forced them to lay a bunch of people off. And so I was one of the people who got laid off. Um, so anyway, um, about, yeah, about eight months later, um, a tweet comes across my Twitter and it was James Edward Gray, who I had mentioned earlier. I had interviewed him, I think, twice on Rails Coach. Um, and he said, gee, I wish there was a panel discussion podcast for Ruby. And he was listening to a show called, I think, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe or something like that. Um, and I'd been listening to the twit.tv podcasts, This Week in Tech, uh, Windows Weekly, This Week in Google, um, MacBreak Weekly. And so I, I thought that, you know, it was pretty, pretty darn cool stuff. And so I'd been kind of thinking the same thing, but I had never really considered starting them until and starting one until he put that out there. And so I sent him a message and I said, yeah, let's do it. And so um, we reached out to the people we knew. Uh, we got Peter Cooper from uh, Ruby Weekly, Cooper Press. Um, he also does JavaScript Weekly and a bunch of other ones now. Um, we got Aaron Patterson from the Ruby and Rails core teams. Uh, David Brady was a, a, a friend of both of ours. And it turned out that he actually lived in my neighborhood at the time. Go figure. Um, and I, I think that's pretty much the whole crew when we started. 
And then, and so I went and bought the domain and set up the, um, the website and, you know, uh, initially I was editing the shows, um, which meant that I was putting intro and outro music on there. And unless somebody told me to edit something out, that was pretty much all I did. Um, and then I wound up hiring people and things like that. And I, I can talk a little bit through that in a minute. But anyway, so we started Ruby Rogues, and that was in May of 2011. And uh, it was really great. I mean, a lot of people were totally willing to come on and just chat with us about the show and talk about what they were working on in Ruby. So we got people who were building different uh, Ruby uh, distributions. We talked to people who were working on different parts of the Ruby ecosystem. We would just talk about stuff ourselves a lot of times. Um, after the first eight or nine episodes, I think both Peter and Aaron had said that they were super busy and didn't have time to do the shows anymore. And so we brought in Avdi Grimm and Josh Susser and that kind of made up the, the core, um, group for a while. And then after a hundred or so episodes, uh, Katrina Owen, who had been a guest a couple of times, um, she actually joined the panel as well. And so we, we did that for a while until, um, Josh quit the show. And, you know, and things kind of went from there. Um, about six months later or so, um, Jameson Dance, who's a local developer, um, I knew him from the Ruby community, but he had gotten deeply involved in JavaScript. Uh, he came to me and said that he wanted to start a show like that, except for JavaScript. And if I remember correctly, initially, we, I was just trying to help him get it going. And then eventually, I just wound up pulling it all together. I think he was busy with work stuff and life stuff. And so I wound up pulling that show together and running it. You know, AJ O'Neill, who's on the show now, he's, I think he's the only other original panelist. Uh, Joe Eames started 20 or so episodes in, um, and then everybody else has come in since then. Um, at the same time, I started the Freelancer show, and I don't think there are any original people on that show. Um, and I actually retired from that show about two years ago, so... Um, but, but yeah, so we started that show and then about a year and a half later, I decided I wanted to learn how to build iOS apps and I never did actually, but I was on that. I, I was on iFreaks for three and a half years, four years, um, before I finally retired from that show, just, you know, in, in, from the sense that I wasn't bringing a whole lot to the show. I mean, my technical knowledge was most, mostly from what I had discussed in previous episodes with other people. And so I bowed out of that. And then, um, let's see. So, uh, my ink or angular, uh, adventures in angular started uh, a year or so after that, uh, Joe Eames and Merrick Christensen, uh, came to me and basically said, Hey, you should do a show on angular. And I looked at him and I said, guys, I am doing too many shows. Um, I, you know, I don't have time for another show. So no. And they came back to me a few weeks later and said, no, Chuck, you need to, you know, we need you to help us start an Angular show. And I said, not doing it. After like the third or fourth time, I think I finally capitulated and said, okay, let's do it. So we started that show. And at that point, things started to get really hard as far as time management goes, because that whole time I had been freelancing on uh, Ruby and JavaScript. And so I would pick up contracts and I'd, work my contracts and then I would work the podcasts and with five running shows. Um, I had also at that point hired Mandy Moore and we found Mandy Avdi had found her on Craigslist or something. 
and uh, trained her to edit his show. He had a wide teams show at the time, which was remote teams. Um, and uh, so she was editing his shows and doing his show notes and things like that. And I talked to her and she started getting it done for me too. I had hired uh, people before that to do that kind of work and nobody panned out. People were dropping the ball all over the place. And when I hired her, she just got it done. And it was, it was amazing. I, I was just, I, I must've told her I loved her like a dozen times in like two months. Cause I mean, every week it was like stuff went out on time. It got done right. It, I mean, it was terrific. And I, I think there was some push for me to hire her from the other panelists, especially on Ruby rogues, because they were tired of shows not being released. In fact, somebody actually put up a website that was uh, time since the last Ruby rogues episode went out. And I think at one point it, it got up to almost a month. And so, you know, we just, we, we did it. Uh, she, you know, she pulled it together. She was doing a lot of uh, terrific work and, you know, I was super happy to have her doing the work. Um, so we added adventures in angular and then things got to the point where I still, I didn't have time to do the podcasts and work contracts. And I had, I think three contracts at the time, um, for various different things. And, uh, you know, they were smaller contracts. So I had, you know, maybe a thousand dollars from each of them as a deposit. And after two or three weeks of not being able to get any headway on any of their projects, I just refer, return, return the money and just told them, look, I'm sorry, I'll help you find somebody, but I don't have time. And that was a really actually difficult decision for me to make. Um, I was, you know, I, I had been supporting myself and my family off of the consulting for six, six and a half years. And the podcasts were making enough to pay Mandy and they were making a little bit that, you know, to pay me, but not enough to do both. And at that point, um, you know, I just, I prayed, I thought I, 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 I really, uh, you know, I just, I, I looked around and I finally just decided I, I had to make a decision one way or the other, right. I couldn't keep doing both. And so I went full-time on the podcast. And, um, as soon as I made that decision and went out and started, you know, finding sponsors in earnest and doing a lot of that other work, I was able to pay the bills and it worked out. And I was, I was, I'm still shocked sometimes. Right. Um, you know, even though now I've been doing this full-time for about three years. So, um, two or three years, something like that. Anyway. So, um, anyway, so, so that things, things were going really, really well. Um, I hired a business coach. I think this was right after things uh, split with Mandy and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, um, essentially, yeah, you know, she, she told me, look, cause I was, I was out of ad space for uh, JavaScript, Ruby and Angular. And she said, well, just start another show on each of those. And so I started my Ruby story, my JavaScript story and my Angular story. And I have to tell you, I really love doing those shows because I just get to talk to people and I get to talk to people about what makes them them, what makes them tick. And a lot of people identify with a lot of the things that people share on there. And so I really, really have enjoyed doing those, but that's how those ones got started. And so those were uh, shows like seven, eight, nine on devchat.tv and devchat started to become an idea sometime after iFreaks. Um, I had been talking to a few of my other podcast friends and they essentially were telling me, look, you have a, you have a podcast network. You just don't have a podcast network. 
And my friend, Tom Allen, who has passed away, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, he, did, he used to do the podcasts out here in Salt Lake. Um, he had this idea for a Twitter chat called DevChat. And he never did anything with it. And so uh, I essentially co-opted the name, uh, made it into a podcast network. And if he wanted to do a Twitter chat called DevChat, I was totally cool with that. Um, but it never really came to be. And so um, anyway, so we we pulled things together and eventually I put it all on one website. And uh, I actually, I built my own website in Ruby on Rails. I built my admin system in Ruby on Rails. Um, I had a sponsorship management system that I'd built in Ruby on Rails. And all in all, it turned out to be kind of a dumb decision because um, it, it was a ton of work. And what eventually made me switch back to WordPress. So initially they were all on their own WordPress setups. And so I moved them all over to that website, that system. And then eventually I moved everything back to WordPress after my friend Derek Bailey was showing me what he was doing with watchmecode.com. Um, and within like two days, I had almost uh, feature parity with, um, with the devchat.tv system that I had built. And so um, anyway, it, it, it just turned out to be a, a good move and it, it simplified a lot of things for me because I didn't have to maintain all this code. And, you know, I paid a good deal of money to a developer to help me build it. Um, but you know, in the end it just turned out to not really be the right way to do it. Um, even though the developer was doing a good job and you know, it, it worked, it just wasn't ideal. So yeah, so back to WordPress, uh, that, that's where we wind up going. Incidentally, it's funny because now I'm actually working on a, a static site generator type thing. And um, that has simplified things further. That's been a good deal of work, though, to actually set up. But once it's done, then um, adding features to it is just updating HTML uh, templates and then relaunching it, basically. Um, and adding new episodes to it is just a matter of um, adding a markdown file to it. So I, I have a few other things I need to figure out on it, but for the most part, that, that's where things are. So anyway, uh, just, just kind of an interesting side note on that. But um, anyway, so we, we moved everything back to WordPress. Now we're moving on to that. Um, incidentally, if you go to devchat.tv and it is the new website setup and you find a problem with it, with it um, you can actually submit a pull request to it now. That's the other reason why I switched it over is you can submit a pull request and it'll fix whatever's going on with it. So, um, you know, or if there's a typo in one of the show notes or, you know, anything like that, um, that's kind of what we're looking at. So yeah, anyway, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. The, uh, where was I at? So yeah. So anyway, so that, that's kind of where things ended up with a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I want to back up and talk a little bit about the situation with Ruby rogues and with Mandy. Um, both happened around the same time. They were kind of related, I guess. But um, anyway, I'm just going to explain things from my point of view. I know that there was a big uh, Twitter stream that that people posted at the time, which was like two years ago. Um, and at the time, I didn't say anything, and I, I want to address this as well. Uh, the, at the time, I didn't I, I didn't respond to any of it. And the reason was primarily that I had seen incidents go down at different conferences and with different online communities where uh, people didn't see eye to eye on a particular issue. Um, you know, 
And, and in some cases, it was clear who had been in the wrong. But what wound up happening was that people wound up taking sides and then there was a ton of blowback both directions. And it just turned into this big fight and it got really ugly. And I didn't want to be in the middle of any of that. And so I was more or less content to let them say their piece. And my response was essentially, if you really want to know my side of things, email me, we'll set up a time to talk and then we'll just talk. And essentially it was off the record. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, the two kind of happened at the same time. Um, and, and I'm going to go into some things. Um, I got a lot of blowback about talking about what happened with Mandy um, publicly before. Um, but I, I think it's, it's kind of critical to understanding at least to some degree what actually happened. So um, we were looking at in um, March or, or, or April of, of that year. And I think it was like 2016, I want to say. I can go back and check, but I really don't care. Um, but, but yeah, it was March or April. Um, we started having discussions because uh, things were getting to the point where I, I wanted her to, and, and I, I, I also want to preface this by saying that I have learned a ton about communicating clearly about what I want. And I think a lot of this just stemmed from my inability to clearly communicate to her what I wanted. Um, and, and I never really had a problem with her as far as her performance went. It was more just that we didn't see eye to eye on the vision of things. So we were looking at things and I was talking to her about potentially building out a team so that she could focus on a lot of the things that I saw that were um, more valuable than some of the things that she was spending her time on. And initially when we talked through it, she was talking about building out a team for her own company. And then she would essentially just, you know, provide services to mine. Right. And so my team would essentially be her team. And initially I agreed to that. And then I realized that that really didn't fit with where I wanted to go as much as that I wanted to have people on my team. Right. I wanted, I wanted it to be my team and I wanted her to run it. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I talked to people about it, um, the, the more I kind of came to that conclusion. And, and I think she felt like I went back on my word there some, and she, she's probably justified in thinking that. Um, but that, that kind of started a little bit of tension in the relationship that we had. And she'd worked for me for a number of years before that. So um, anyway, it was interesting. Another thing that, that came out of it too was that she had handed off some of the work to a subcontractor. And she was paying that subcontractor considerably less than I was paying her. And, and I told her this. I didn't feel like it was fair for me to be paying that much more for work done by somebody who was doing it for that much less, um, you know, un unless she could guarantee the, the quality and stuff. And, you know, and I wasn't convinced that she could. So um, that, that all said, um, you know, that, that caused some issues there. So we, we kind of had some back and forth. And at the same time I was, and I still am uh, part of a show called Entre Programmers. And Entre Programmers is a show where um, we get on, it's a mastermind group and we just get on and we talk about everything. And, you know, there are some areas that we hold back on, but for the most part, especially then, well, we, we were very clear that we talk about anything, right? There, there were no holds barred. Um, you know, we wouldn't hide anything. Um, and so we would talk through it. And, um, and so I discussed some of the tension that we were having. Um, you know, between she and I. 
and she became extremely well, you know, well, one, so let me back up. So she became frustrated about the, the response that I got on the show. And, um, and, and this is where, and I've talked to a few people since then who kind of went back and looked through it and they're like, look, I see where you're coming from and I see where she's coming from. Um, you know, I haven't gone back and, and looked through it cause it just hasn't been worth it. I, I, I don't care so much about being right, <clears throat> but, um, Anyway, so it was an interesting uh, way it went down, though. Um, so my friend John basically just said, "Look, you gotta, you gotta get rid of her. Um, she costs too much. She, you know, she's not doing what you're asking her to." And and my issue was, well, the problem is, is that she's doing a lot of things that I don't particularly want to do, and she does a great job. You know, I I, I don't have any problem with her performance in the job. And he said, "Look, you've got to." you've got to control this whole process. And, and that was the, I guess, another sticking point between she and I was that I wanted her to document all the processes that she was using to run my business. And she was digging her heels in because she felt like if she did that, then I could go find somebody, uh, you know, cheaper to go do the work and she'd be out of a job. And my intent really was to hire out that team and then have her do the, I, I, I think I was paying her like 50 or 60 bucks an hour. And so I wanted her to be doing the 50 or $60 an hour work. And yeah, I'd hire somebody cheaper to do the, the 10 or $15 an hour work. So um, anyway, so that, that was kind of the, the, the way that that went. Um, but yeah, uh, they, they were, uh, let's just say unkind about the way that I should handle it um, or handle the situation with her uh, on the show. And, you know, I didn't think much about it. You know, I got a bunch of advice. Um, I, I felt like I had, you know, uh, said my piece as far as I don't want to get rid of her because she does a great job. Um, but it came up here and there over the next few weeks. Um, and the tension with her started getting worse as well. Um, which is, you know, so I was bringing it up some as well. And, you know, they, they encouraged me to let her go. Um, which was still something I didn't feel like I wanted to do. And I didn't feel like she had done anything to, you know, merit getting fired. And so, um, anyway, so that, that's kind of where things wound up. And then what ended up happening was, um, she, she, somebody told her that we had been talking about her on entreprogrammers. And to be fair, I thought I had told her that we did the show, that we talked about everything and that she may at some point become a topic of conversation. And, you know, she claims that I never did, which is also entirely possible because I, I don't remember when or how I thought I had, but maybe I hadn't. So, you know, just, just in all fairness, it, it's entirely possible that I hadn't. Um, in which case, you know, she, she you know, what, whatever the case is, she, she felt like she'd been blindsided. And so um, uh, she, you know, she basically was, felt like I had, you know, maligned her um and that it was unconscionable on the show um i went back and listened to it the episode that particular episode at the time because she she pointed to that one and said this is really hurtful um and i'm listening and i'm going okay yeah um what john's saying isn't very nice and you know what what you know some of the other guys are saying you know is in line with what john's saying it's just sounds nicer um but every time i chime in i'm telling them what a good job she does and so i felt like you know i hadn't stepped out of line and, you know, somebody finally stepped in and said, you shouldn't have talked about it publicly. And that's probably true that, you know, that's probably true. 
Um, or at least, uh, you know, I should have been explicit. Hey, look, I'm part of this mastermind. We're going to have this discussion. If you want, if you want it to be private, you know, we can do that. But, you know, they give me advice and, you know, and so I, and then I need some advice on how to handle this because, you know, th this isn't working out. Um, so, yeah, so I, I did learn some lessons there and I, I really shouldn't have discussed it publicly, at least not with, without talking to her first. Um, but anyway, so uh, that all came to a head in like August and she finally just, I actually revoked her access to everything, um, got her on a call to tell her that it wasn't going to work out and that we should part ways. And she told me that we should part ways on the call. And so we, you know, um, I, I don't want to say that I was about to fire her. I'm sure there's a nicer term for it when it's more of a, Hey, this ain't working right. Instead of a, you did something wrong. But anyway, so the, the reason that it connects to the other issue with Ruby rogues. Um, so in June of that same year, um, Avdi came in and said that he was looking at retiring from the show. And I think Saran was thinking about it. And so, um, we were discussing who we should replace them with. And at the time, um, the, the other panelists were Jessica, David, um, San, or Coraline, Avdi and Saran and I, so that, that was the panel. And so I was like, okay, you know, well, who, you know, so we, we just kind of discussed it, right. You know, over email, who should we get? And there was a lot of back and forth and several people put forward that, um, if Avdi was going to go, we should replace him with somebody that was, um, not white and not a man. And for the most part, I really don't care about that kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure how to couch that in, in terms that's not going to piss some people off. Um, but I really want to have a great show and then all things being equal. Yeah. You know, let's, let's get somebody that, you know, looks a little different, but for the most part, um, I, I really enjoy the diversity of thought. And I think that was what made the show great when it was, uh, James, Avdi, Josh, David and I were all white dudes, right? It was because we all come from very different backgrounds and we brought different, uh, ways of thinking about problems to the the discussion, you know, and, and sometimes the, the way that people looks, you know, stand, can, you know, indicate that they have a little bit of a different uh, cultural or um, some other way of thinking about it because they've lived through things that, you know, the rest of us haven't um, is I guess the best way to put that, but that's not always true either. So anyway, so um I, I just, I said, look, you know, as long as it's a great show, you know, that's fine. But they didn't bring any names up. And so I brought up a couple of people that had either been co-hosts on other shows that, you know, were Ruby experts and, uh, you know, or past guests or things like that. And, you know, they, they nixed every one of them. And what was interesting too, is that uh, up to that point, everybody on Ruby Rogues had been um, approved by the entire panel, right? So every time we added somebody to the show, um, everybody on the panel had basically been like, okay, you know, we're good with that. Um, you know, and so I didn't press the issue, right? I didn't say, okay, well, we're taking them anyway, or I know they're good. And so we're just going to go with it. You know, I, I, I totally went with, okay, well then let's find somebody, but we've got to find somebody soon. Right. Um, and then they finally put forward somebody uh, to come on, you know, to be a, a, a co-host. 
And incidentally, we've had this person on the show since and they were a terrific guests. So I kind of feel dumb about it now. And, and these guys are welcome to come back and say, told you so. But at the time, um, they, they said, well, she's been a, a, a guest on Ruby Rogues before. We think that she would be a great panelist. And I was like, all right, well, you know, basically have her come on as a guest rogue. And if she does a good job, then I'm in, right? And so she came on the show and she didn't say very much. And, you know, so afterward, you know, um, I could kind of virtually feel them leaning in and going, so what do you think? And I was like, guys, she didn't talk. And, you know, if she doesn't talk, she's not there, right? Um, and so I, I'm just not excited about having this, you know, cause they found somebody that met their criteria, right? Not male and not white. So, you know, it's a she at least, um, I was just like, I'm, I'm sorry guys, but I'm not excited about her. So, you know, no. And because I own and run the podcast network, um, they felt like I put my foot down and told them to drop dead where in reality, you know, I was just exerting my vote as a member of the panel and saying, you know, sorry, but no. Um, but anyway, so, so that all kind of got smoothed over and we eventually added Sam Livingston Gray to the, the panel. Everyone was like, Oh, we like Sam, you know? So we added Sam to the panel. So after Mandy quit, I sent an email out to all of the, uh, all of my co-hosts on all the shows. And I said, look, you know, um, here's essentially what's going down. Um, you know, if, if you want to go look on Twitter, you can probably figure out, you know, some of the deal um, surrounding uh, Mandy, but, um, you know, she's not, she's not working for us anymore. And so I've hired this other company to do the podcast production. And, um, and so they're going to be handling it from now on. So just send your emails to me and then I will, you know, I'll, I'll work with the production company to get it done. Well, the production company turned out to not be a great company to keep up on and doing all of the work that we needed. They were, um, they were releasing late. They failed to remove stuff, especially when during the middle of the show, we'd say this needs to be removed. They would fail to remove it. And so, um, anyway, uh, one of the episodes that happened on, um, Sam was particularly invested in and, um, so he came to me and he said, you know, it needs to be fixed. And I'm like, yeah, it needs to be fixed. And so I went back to them, had it cleaned up. And then I think he reached out to Mandy. Um, and, you know, I had forwarded at that point, uh, Mandy's email address to mine. So that if any, you know, if any requests came in or any, anything was unfinished with her that, you know, I could handle it. And so, um, he sent anyway, he sent a request in, I told him that Mandy was gone. Um, and he got, kind of indignant about that. And uh, then I think he went to talk to her and got her into things. And then, you know, he essentially went to Twitter and said, um, you know, this is ridiculous. Chuck should hire Mandy back. And so, you know, I get an email from a friend of mine who says, you see this, right? And so I went and saw it and I sent an email to Sam and I said, Sam, that's not appropriate. You need to take it down. Um, you know, if you have, if you have a problem with the decision that I made, you know, let's talk, but you know, um, you know, starting a Twitter fight over this is, is not, you know, is not appropriate. And he's stuck by his guns. And so I said, fine. Um, but if we're going to have a Twitter fight, then you're not going to be a panelist on Ruby rogues. And that's when I actually did, you know, as producer of the show say, I'm making a call. 
So I, I kicked him off. I kicked him off the show. Um, I got an email not too long after that um, from Coraline saying, you need to stop making unilateral decisions. And I was done at that point. I mean, you know, he, you know, he, he went after me on Twitter and so I kicked him off the show. And then I heard from her a little bit later saying that she was quitting the show too. And then a couple days after that, I got emails from Jessica and David also saying that they were quitting the show. So, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much where things came down. Um, and then they wound up starting a show called Greater Than Code, which I think is still running. Um, I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention, so I don't know for sure. Um, but anyway, so they, they went off and started their own show. Um, I think Saran kind of felt caught in the middle of it and she really didn't get involved. Um, so, and, and so I, you know, I don't blame her for, you know, making any decisions she made. Um, I know she didn't go join them and she didn't stay on Ruby Rogue. So I, I think she was just trying not to get caught up in the middle of it. But, um, anyway, so all of a sudden I was the only rogue standing. So, uh, yeah, so I did the show with, um, Noel Rappin. I think we talked about his, uh, money book. Um, started reaching out to people and we pulled together a new rogues panel. Um, so I, you know, I've had people ask what happened and and that's essentially the story. Um, I'm not going to hash through this. If you leave a comment on the episode, I am not going to respond to it, but that that's essentially where things came down. And I'm sure somebody has a difference of opinion on some of this, but, um, anyway, that's, that's essentially the way that it went. So, um, that that's kind of been the biggest challenge. Um, I did feel a little bit personally attacked at the time. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that was the right way to feel, but yeah, I didn't feel like responding cause I really did not want to polarize people, make them take sides or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to, I, I more or less really just wanted it to go away and just be able to rebuild. And I did not want to ruin any, friendships or make any problems for the community or anything like that. So anyway, that's, that's where things went from there. So, so yeah, so since then, um, yeah, we started my Ruby story, my JavaScript story, my Angular story. Um, about a year later, I sent a, a survey around and I asked people what they wanted. Um, and I got overwhelming responses for React and uh, Elixir. So I started shows on those and um, Joe came to me and said, you should start a show on view. And I decided not to tell him no four times that time. So we started that show, um, on the editor front and the show notes front. Um, I hired one company and they, they lasted about six months before I just said, guys, I'm done. You know, I, I can't take it anymore. You're delivering late. Uh, you're delivering poorly and you know, you cost too much for me to have to hassle with this. So at the time I had another friend who owned a podcast company and I hired his company. Incidentally, both of these people were, or both of these companies were run by people that I knew already. Um, and they did it for about a year and they also did not do a great job. Um, so uh, then I hired the editor for the Ultra Programmer show and he did it. It was kind of hit or miss for a while. He was delivering late as well but he was doing much better job than the other editors were. And so uh, eventually we got to the point where we were delivering on time, right? We were getting the shows out on time. And 
my issue was, was that I wanted to be a week or two ahead on the edits because, you know, I just, I was, I was a little bit leery about getting them out late. And, um, anyway, um, I also in that time hired, um, sorry, I blanked. Um, at, at, at that time, I also hired Michelle, who is our podcast production manager at this point. And she's, she's the one that lines up a lot of our guests and does a lot of that work. And, uh, anyway, so in December, um, I, I just finally had had enough with that editor and I, I let him know, I mean, he did a terrific job and I think we had just kind of overwhelmed him. Um, but yeah, he was always proud of himself for getting stuff out on time. And I always felt like, well, that's your job, you know, be proud of yourself for getting us ahead. Like I've asked you like four or five times. So anyway, so that kind of, uh, you know, we parted ways and, um, I wound up hiring a couple of other editors and those guys have been working for me since January and they have been awesome. They have gotten everything out on time. Um, they've actually gotten ahead a few times. Um, and, and that's worked out well. Um, but since there are two of them too, they can also cover each other. So if we have shows that are recording one week and releasing the next, um, you know, one can get covered because the other guy is there to do it. And uh, that, that has worked out tremendously well. And then I've hired a number of people to help write the show notes and, and schedule the releases and things like that. Um, and at this point, man, or not Mandy, at this point, Michelle runs most of those teams. So, or, or most of that team. So I mostly just work with the hosts, uh, work with the sponsors, and then just kind of uh, check in to make sure that everything's going out on time. And, you know, things have worked out super well that way. Um, I credit a lot of that just to, um, uh, so I signed up for another coach this last year um, and his name's Scott Beebe and you can uh, check him out at businessonpurpose.com. Um, but he helped me get a lot of it systemized to the point where, you know, a lot of it just kind of happens automatically. And I think that was a lot of the problem that uh, occurred with the other folks that I had working for me before. And it, he's also helped me learn how to communicate better with my teams which is, I think, what uh, boiled down to a lot of the issues with Mandy and with some of these other folks. Um, you know, I, I, I essentially am admitting that I'm taking responsibility for this because in a lot of ways, it really boiled down to, you know, my failings and my uh, not understanding how a business is supposed to run and not understanding um, how to make it sustainable. So anyway, it, it's all worked out to this point. And so, yeah, now we're working toward making sure that there are shows out there for every programming community and doing our best to support the open source community. So uh, anyway, um, that's probably way more than you bargained for. Um, I'm sure that there are people who still have feelings about some of the stuff with Ruby rogues and Mandy in particular, but overall um, I, I, I've been asked a bunch about it. I wanted to put something out there so I could just say, Hey, go, you know, this is essentially the thing, right? Um, and uh you know, and then you, you kind of have a definitive place to go and kind of get my take on things. And then, you know, if you really care, you can go check out some of the other stuff too. But, uh, yeah, um, that, that's more or less my, uh, story to this point. Um, and yeah, uh, my main focuses at this point are, um, getting, uh, these new podcasts started, um, getting the podcasting systems even more streamlined and then just nailing it for as many communities as we can. So if there's a community out there, like I said, that you want a podcast to be out there for, let me know and we'll see what we can do to get it going. 
Um, incidentally, a lot of the times when somebody says, hey, I wish there was a podcast about such and such a topic, um, I wind up asking them if they want to be a panelist. So if you want to be on a podcast, that's also a good way to do it. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, the long-winded um, explanation of how things went um, and, and, you know, my journey into podcasting. Um, there have been a few other bumps along the way, um, some things that weren't as public that I'm not just not going to go into. But uh, for the most part, that's, that's kind of how things have gone. And, and that's been my journey. And yeah, you know, um, you're not doing it right if you don't screw it up a few times, right? So anyway, um, that's what we're doing. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to wrap this up and I will catch you all next week. All right. So this is actually a separate recording from what you've listened to so far. Um, I recorded that episode last week and I realized that I hadn't covered everything that I wanted. So I'm just going to jump in here for a few more minutes and just talk through uh, some of the stuff that I've, I've just kind of been thinking about. So I, I talked through some of the things that were not fun to go through with the podcasts. Um, I talked through some of the things that were a little bit controversial when people, other people were involved, they had different opinions. Um, and you know, I kind of talked through some of the things that I messed up and I realized that, you know, I, I didn't really want to talk about it to get the story straight. I didn't really want to talk about it necessarily because people had questions about it. That was part of it. But what I really wanted to do is I just wanted to highlight some of the lessons in it. Right. Um, and, and what, one of the things is just that, um, running a business is freaking hard, right? Um, I mean, I've been doing the podcast stuff for full time now for a few years. Um, and I've been podcasting for 10 years and it, it's tricky. I mean, you have to be consistent and getting the, uh, episodes out consistently. Um, you know, you have to consistently follow up to find sponsors. You have to, you know, you have to do the work, you have to get out there and actually do it. And I, I'm kind of hoping that I can highlight that and at the same time, not make people feel like it's hard or impossible for them to go out and do something like this if that's what you if that's what you want right so if you want to start a podcast by all means start a podcast um sit down figure out what it's going to take sit down figure out when you're going to record sit down figure out what you want to talk about and then just do it just do the work right um and and that's kind of the deal is just getting in and executing um the other thing is is that a lot of people enabled a lot of this journey and I, I want to highlight that as well, right? I mean, Greg basically said, go start a podcast. And I was like, okay, you know, um, you know, I asked him if, if it would work and he said to go for it. And so, you know, if, if this is your Greg moment, so to speak, right, where it's, it's go start a show and, oh, I guess I could, huh? Go for it. Do it. Um, the other thing, especially with the things that went down with Mandy and with the, the Ruby Rogues panel at the time. Um, I, I really want to highlight some of those lessons too. I mean, one of them was just that I wasn't clear on what I wanted. I wasn't clear on where I was heading. And I think a lot of people mess this up, whether you have a traditional career or if you're doing something on your own, like I am, um, it's really hard to figure that out. And it's also really, it's really easy to screw it up when you don't know what, what you want. And so, you know, I messed things up. I, I didn't communicate clearly with her what I wanted. I, I told her one thing and then realized that that wasn't what I wanted and came back and told her another. Um, you know, I, I messed up the way that I communicated about some of the other stuff. I shouldn't have talked about 
the situation with Mandy in public. Um, you know, the Ruby Rogues thing, uh, some of that was my fault. Some of that I feel like was their fault. Um, but, but ultimately at the same time, right. It was, um, I, I wasn't clear on what I wanted from my co-hosts. Right. And I wasn't clear who I wanted as co-hosts. And so I got some people in who had an agenda that was very different from mine. And I'm not saying that they were wrong. I'm just saying that they weren't a good fit for where I wanted to go. And eventually that was what caused things to come apart. And so again, it was just, and, and this is the point I want to drive home, right? Is that you have to be clear on what you want. You have to be clear on what you want. You have to be willing to go out and do the work and you have to be able to uh, admit when you screw things up. And yeah, it's, it's, those are hard lessons to learn. Hopefully you can learn them just by listening to me instead of going and screwing stuff up. But ultimately uh, that, that was what I wanted to put out there. And I realized that after I had recorded it, I wanted to come back and just say, Hey folks, look, none of it's permanent, right? I found new co-hosts for Ruby Rogues. I really like these folks, right? Um, I've got co-hosts that I've been recording with for um, seven and a half years, right? On JavaScript Jabber. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of good things out there and you, you can't let the things that don't work out, you know, knock you down. Um, and if they do get back up and you also have to be willing to do the work. And one other thing is, is that, you know, the, the podcast thing, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years and yeah, the, the situation today is different enough to where you can probably gain traction much more quickly than we did, you know, 10 years ago or eight years ago with Ruby Rhodes. But the flip side of it is, is that you still have to do the work because if it's easier for you to come in, it's easier for everybody else to come in. And so you've got to go in there and you've got to stick it out and you've got to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. And if you can do that, then you can make the difference everywhere else. And that's one thing that I'm seeing now where we're starting all of these new shows and we're making all of this progress with everything that we're working on is that again, right? We're doing a lot of things that a lot of other people aren't willing to do. And in some cases, we're actually taking over and rebooting or um, rebranding shows, right? And so we're adopting the RSS feed with the, uh, um, existing listeners or we're helping them revitalize the show and find sponsors and things like that. But those are all things that those people really weren't willing to figure out how to do. Because, and, and you know, some people are going to, well, they just didn't know how or that, you know, they didn't have the connections you did. But the thing is, is I went out and did the work to get it right? I went out and did the work to meet people. I go to conferences and I go walk through the entire expo floor and I talk to people and find out what, who they are, find out what they're about and see if they're a fit for our shows and all of those things, right? I reach out to people I don't even know. And I'm like, Hey, we're trying to pull together a show about this thing. Are you interested? Right? And people aren't willing to go out on a limb sometimes. Some people are, and sometimes it doesn't work out. And, and I acknowledge that. But the thing is, is you still have to go do the work. You still have to go out and you have to get a bazillion no's before you get the one or two yeses that are going to make the difference. And so, you know, um, I, I got kicked in the teeth on the Ruby Rhodes thing and I went and found new, um, new people. I went, I got kicked in the teeth for screwing up with Mandy and guess what? I went out and I found new people and I worked through it and I figured it out. And now we actually have written processes for everything. My people know exactly what to do. We communicate really well online. I mean, we had a team meeting this morning where my team actually got on and said, hey, we have these problems, one of which I was aware of, a couple of which I wasn't. And by the end of the call, we knew what we were going to do and who was going to do it. And 
the only part of it I was really involved in was saying, okay, who's going to do this? Right. The, the rest of it was all them solving these problems. Oh, we've had some hiccups with this. I think we should do this to fix it. Okay, let's try it. You know, we'll try it for two or three weeks. And then if it causes other problems then we can reevaluate it. And if it doesn't, then it works. But you know, I had to go do the work. I had to go gut it out. I had to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours after when most people go home from work to make this go. And so the whole point is, is that yes, it's an interesting journey. Yes, it's an interesting story. Yes, I did a whole bunch of stuff, you know, that I probably didn't need to do. And yeah, I screwed a bunch of stuff up, but I didn't quit. And I went out and I did the dang work. And so if you want to start a show, come talk to me. I can probably make it easier for you. If you want to try something else, you want to go do Twitch streaming or write an open source or doing anything else, go do it. You know, figure out what's involved and go do it. Don't make the excuses. You know, now's not a good time. Um, I was on an accountability call with some friends of mine this morning as well. And uh, the one guy, he basically said, well, I haven't started running because it's not a good time. And one of the other guys called him out and he said, you said that it wasn't a good time before because it was Easter. And then before that, it wasn't a good time because it was coming up on Christmas. He's like, I'm sorry, but at this point, you know, you're just, you just don't want to do the work. And, you know, he kind of looked up and he was like, you know what, you're right. I mean, he was nicer about it and it was kind of a joking tone, but that, you know, that, that's the truth is we make all these excuses for why we don't get what we want. And the reality is, is that we have to work for it. And that's where I'm at now where it's like, okay, I see where this can go and I am going all in. I am all in, right? I'm going to go make a show for every programming community because they need it. And then I'm going to make sure that everybody out there who can listen to that podcast and get good quality um, information out of it and go get results in their life from it are going to find it and use it. And, and that's where we end up. And, and that's what I'm working on. And that's what gets me fired up is that I know that I can go out there and I can knock it out of the park and I can make a difference. And bonus, I can make a living doing it. So if you're listening to this and I can inspire you to go out and do something a little bit different, a little bit better, go try something new. Go for it. Go for it. Do it. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't express well enough on this call, how much that has made a difference for me is just going out and doing it, just doing it. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to help where I can, where I have time. Um, I'm happy to jump on a 15 minute, minute call with just about anybody, right? And so if you have a question and I can answer it in 10 or 15 minutes, let's do it. If you need more in-depth coaching, we can probably figure that out too. But ultimately, I mean, let's, let's just go out there and let's, let's solve this. Let's, let's make a difference. Um, you know, we have a skill as software developers to where we can write software that will make just about anything easier to think about, reason about, handle, model, whatever. So go make a difference that way. If, if the way you want to make a difference is blogging, if the way you want to make a difference is podcasting or video or something else, go do it. Um, go see what somebody else is doing and doing it, do it. Um, I have my friend, John Sanmez. He, he ran uh, simpleprogrammer.com, which was a blog that, that he primarily 
was writing on for a long time. And then he had a simple programmer YouTube channel that started to get really big. And guess what? There's another guy out there that went out there and he created his own website called Clever Programmer. And he's doing a lot of the same kinds of things that John was. He basically copied him. Guess what? He and John are friends, not enemies, not bitter rivals, not angry at each other. So if you see something out there that's working, that you see that you can use to serve another community, go for it. Um, but whatever it is, if I can inspire you to go out and take that next step, do that thing that matters to you, make that difference, then, then go do it. I'm going to stop ranting on it now. Um, I've ranted on it for like 10 minutes. But I mean, that, that's, so that's the deal. Just go do it. Now I've got a couple of picks I'm going to throw out there. Um, you can definitely go check them out. Um, the first one is I've mentioned like everywhere JS and everywhere RB, um, go check those out. That's part of my vision as far as like where we can go and how we can help people. Um, and basically it's an online users group. We're going to have meetings once or twice a month and we're just going to talk about stuff that you're interested in, get really cool, interesting people to come on board. Um, the other pick that I have, so devchat.tv, I've been working on moving it over to a statically hosted site. Um, I'm hosting it on Netlify. That's a pick. Um, they're also a sponsor of some of the shows, full disclosure, but I freaking love what they've got. And so I talked to them and got them to sponsor. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. Um, they've got a lot of tools for kind of the static style sites that you might see from like Jekyll or Hugo. Um, I'm using a system called Eleventy, and that's written in JavaScript. So Eleventy JS, you can find it at one uh, one ty dot io. That's one one like eleven t dot ty Anyway, um, so definitely check that out as well. Um, but yeah, I I freaking love this stuff. So uh, I'm 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 just trying to make an impact there. Um, the Dev Chat Eleventy repo is on GitHub. So uh, you can go make pull requests and stuff. I've been trying to get all the posts tagged and things like that. So if you want to help me with that, that's fine. Um, and if you want some kind of coaching, that's actually really way to get really good way to get it. Because if you tag uh, five posts or you write um, show notes for shows that don't have it for five posts, then I will actually just give you an hour of coaching for free. So anyway, um, just throwing all that out there. And that's at github.com slash, I think, cmaxw slash... Uh, dev chat dash 11 so uh, anyway um, really really digging that really really happy with the outcome um, just working on getting the final touches in it'll probably be up this week so uh, as I record this which is uh, June 3rd so uh, anyway if, if it's past this week then it's probably already out there and you're probably seeing the new dev chat so anyway um, that those are my picks that's my stuff get out there figure out what you want go after it go do it and then write your own journey. Have a good one. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.